0: Pakistan and the United States
1: have a strong,
0: ongoing counter-terrorism
1: cooperation. I am gravely concerned about the situation
2: in
3: Pakistan. Caught in the middle of America's war on terror, Pakistan now stands accused of playing both sides. Many believe its intelligence service, the ISI, has been working with the Afghan Taliban. Even while its offshoot, the Pakistani Taliban massacres innocent civilians at home.
0: We are seeing the scourge of terrorism, but it has now transformed and taken the
3: shape of Talibanization.
2: The only good Taliban is a dead Taliban.
3: So, is the country's top spy agency a rogue organization? A state within a state? And who really calls the shots on Pakistan's foreign policy? I'm Mehdi Hassan and I've come here to the Oxford Union to go head-to-head with General Assad Durrani, the former Director General of the ISI. I'll challenge him on the rather cosy relationship between the Taliban and Pakistani intelligence and ask him whether his country is still playing both sides in the so-called war on terror. Tonight, I'll also be joined by Dr Farzana Sheikh, Associate Fellow at Chatham House and author of Making Sense of Pakistan, Declan Walsh, Pakistan Bureau Chief for the New York Times, and Shahzadi Beg, a human rights barrister and Pakistan specialist. Ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together for Lieutenant General Asad Durrani. A veteran of two Indo-Pakistani wars and former ambassador to Saudi Arabia, he's a staunch defender of the Pakistani military establishment. Uh, General Durrani, with the benefit of hindsight, if nothing else, do you now regret the role that Pakistan, and in particular, Pakistani military intelligence, the ISI that you were once in charge of, played in giving the world the Taliban?
0: What we did was the requirement at that time. Still today, I won't say that one regretted it. One played the card as it was to be played.
3: Given what we've seen happened in Afghanistan since the fall of the Soviet Union, the Afghan Mujahideen, etc. you look back and say, if I could do it again, I'd do it the same way. You were in charge of a lot of that policy at the time. One would have done it a little better job, certainly. No doubt about that. When you say better no. job, you would have given us more Taliban or less? No.
0: <laughs> the Taliban emerged because after the Soviet Union,
3: the Mujahideen were not entirely up to the task. So that is how they evolved. But since the fall of the Soviet Union, in fact, right up until very recently, depending on who you believe and which reports you read, you have been backing the Taliban in Afghanistan. The only reason they've managed to make a comeback is because of support from the Pakistan government, military, ISI. That's pretty outrageous, isn't it?
0: After 2001, after the invasion of Afghanistan, the Taliban made the first move to reconciliate with the Kabul regime, which was rejected. And if they had to rise again to resist foreign occupation and had one-third of the Afghan population sympathetic to the Taliban.
3: If you're saying that they've got potential support, undeniably they do, they represent factions in Afghanistan, undeniably they do. that means, yes, you try and bring them into a political process. Yeah. It doesn't mean you actually secretly, behind the scenes, support their so-called insurgency and help them by giving them weapons and letting them blow stuff up. How else would anyone speak to them unless they have some power potential?
0: Unless they can show the ability, as I said, so 2002, they, if you reject them, you are out. So it's old-fashioned? You do not... you no longer count.
3: It's old-fashioned ends justify the means.
0: Is it old-fashioned? Oh, I thought, I thought it was very modern. Unless a party is in a position to play a role, no one is going to talk to them. This talking
3: from a position of strength is a big myth. Oh, well, you, you seem to want it both ways. On the one hand, you're saying we had to talk to them because they had so much support, but mm. they could only have so much support when we gave them weapons to blow stuff up. It's a bit of a if, contradiction.
0: If, if a ragtag militia of 20, 25,000, insurgents, with the help of a state which is considered to be either failing or faltering or fumbling, like Pakistan, if they can achieve this particular status, then the least that I expect from an audience like this, in a country where, you know, they talk about the spirit of Eton and Harrow, to give the Taliban and their supporters in Pakistan a big applause.
3: Applaud the Taliban? Absolutely, because they have... You talk about resisting foreign occupation. Let's just break that down. According to the UN, of the three, four thousand people, civilians, who were killed in Afghanistan last year, the Taliban killed 75% of them. Is that what you want us to applaud?
0: How many were killed by the occupation forces
3: well, over less the than, last? Well, 75% maybe were killed by the Taliban. Less,
0: maybe a little less, but I'm not contesting you're a, the figures. You're, a, you're,
3: a, you're, a, you're an educated man, you're a general, <laughs> you're a senior person. Your response to me saying that they've killed three out of four civilians last year cannot be how much did the other side kill. We are not in the playground, General. Yes. 75% of the civilian casualties were maybe caused by the Afghan Taliban. You want us to applaud that. This is the nature of this war. It's futile to say
0: they should have killed a few deaths. But in this type of warfare, people would die.
3: You're talking in a very kind of sterile way, so let's just break this down. Are you saying that it is justified in this war for the Taliban, as they do, to blow up schools full of kids? I'm, yes or no? I'm not justifying anything. It sounds like you are I'm me. not justifying anything. I'm just trying to explain. You've said in the past that the U.S. and Pakistan are, quote, at war against each other. Yeah, yeah. Is that still your view? Yeah. This was a big illusion
0: on part of, let's say, Pakistan. They deluded themselves in believing that they were allies. Actually, they were not. The allies have the same objective, which we did not have. The allies also agree on a certain approach, on which we did not.
3: It's different to say, we are at war. You use the phrase that America yeah, and Pakistan are at war. Right. It's, uh, the reason I bring this up is it's a funny sort of war <laughs> in which mm. one side gives the other side billions of dollars in aid, hmm. and the other side takes the money, pockets it, and then goes and helps the enemies of the people who gave them that cash. That's a weird sort of war.
0: I think we got much less money than we should have. Okay. <laughs> they said <laughs> ser- the they certainly
3: didn't give you money to go and help their enemies and give safe houses to Taliban yeah. leaders and coordinate yeah. their activities in Afghanistan with roadside yeah. bombs, etc., etc. So we fooled them. Is that what you think, you fooled them? No harm in doing that, because... What would you say to someone who says, basically, the behavior of Pakistan in recent years, and which you're clearly so proud of, uh, is the behavior of a quite treacherous and duplicitous country? If you cannot ride two horses,
0: you have no business to join the circus. Okay. You know who gave that advice? No. Lord Robertson, who was an illustrious British diplomat, Secretary General of NATO, and he was talking to Cohen, the Defense Secretary of the United States. These states play double games, and if we did it successfully, I suppose this is again in the nature of this thing. Okay. Do you regard yourself as a moral man? If it is concerning an individual's act and an interest, then I suppose morality counts. But in the statecraft,
3: the morality takes a back seat. You suggest that this is about statecraft, it's about playing games, it's about riding horses. If you said, you know what, we don't do morality, we get things done, the problem is you don't get things done either. Even on a practical level, what you're doing hasn't worked. So take, for example, the Pakistani Taliban, the so-called TTP, who are an offshoot inspired by the Afghan Taliban. They are now blowing up kids' schools in Pakistan. They have been carrying out gross acts of terror for the past few years. Pakistani soldiers, people you served with, have died at their hands. That is a Frankenstein's monster that you lot created. That is a blowback from your pragmatic policies. Collateral damage. Oh my God. There is a price to be paid for this type of
0: game. It's a high-stake game. Of kids is collateral yeah, damage. Right. High-stake game. Some people, like like you, believe that we created a few groups. The other side would also do that. No, <laughs> this is the only way this government is going to be played. It doesn't happen that so, one side sits back and says so let's be clear. the morality demands, the morality forget requires Forget morality, like as I
3: said, forget morality. On a practical level, how does it help you that the groups you once armed and supported are now attacking you? Is that what you planned? Is that what you're saying? You knew this was going to happen and you approve of it? The gain. The gain
0: is that Afghanistan is more or less free of the foreign occupation. The gain is that Afghanistan can be reunited, reunified, and then whatever would be left with the TTP, one will have to deal with them. Nothing
3: comes free of
0: cost. There is it's, this is not a game for the weak-hearted people.
3: Would you describe the parents who lost kids in Peshawar in that school attack as weak-hearted people?
0: No, they are not weak-hearted. I feel very strongly. I mean, I sympathise with them, except that I am just trying to doesn't explain. not like you sympathise with them. See, you yeah. said
3: collateral damage was I the am school talk- attack. That's which why is a pretty outrageous
0: thing to say. I'm simply describing how these things happen. I do not have to explain justify anything i do not even try and describe what is good and what is bad i'm just trying to for the benefit of everyone here say
3: how these
4: things well, get done. clearly you done. do
3: believe in good and bad because you think freeing Afghanistan of foreign occupation is worth all these deaths. Let's go to our panel uh, who have been waiting patiently to come in here. Farzana Sheikh, uh, you're the Pakistani author of Making Sense of Pakistan, a uh, fellow of the Chatham House think tank in London. Um, just listening to General Durrani, uh, given uh, there's no, literally mean no point asking any ethical or moral questions clearly, um, on a pragmatic level. He seems to think everything's going well, the TTP can be handled, Afghanistan is free of foreign occupation. Is this a Pakistani success story that we're missing?
2: No, what we've we've just heard, I think, uh, is an absolutely breathtaking display of realpolitik. And while General Durrani might believe that nothing comes free of cost, the price paid by Pakistan for the policies pursued by the ISI are entirely too high, have been entirely, I mean, we have lost more than 30,000 people in Pakistan. And that is unacceptable for a war that obviously went extremely wrong. It shows a massive failure on the part of this self-defeating strategy. Because what you've done by pursuing this policy is sacrificed
3: a whole country. Shahzadi Beg is here, is a British human rights lawyer of Pakistani heritage. Uh, You've worked on issues of corruption and governance inside Pakistan. Um, I can't resist, I'm gonna ask the moral question. Isn't it outrageous to hear people saying, actually, it's fine to be working with the Taliban and we should be applauding the Taliban and the Pakistani ISI carrying on doing it even now?
5: It's outrageous when any innocent person is killed by anybody. Let's go back a few decades because to really Uh, understand the picture that we're talking about, we need to go back to the time when the Soviets invaded Afghanistan and there was a tripartite partnership between the United States, Saudi Arabia, and Pakistan, which set up, encouraged the Mujahideen. When we talk about jihad, jihad was glorified initially by the Americans. Um, Coming back to the point that you made about the Peshawar school, of course it's outrageous that school children should be killed. The Pakistani Taliban, Tariqi Taliban Pakistan, as they're known, the TTP, is an out-out terrorist organization and yet it has that support targets from elements of
3: the ISI. Mm-hmm.
5: The TTP is not supported by the Pakistan Army, the ISI. But it does or by have support
3: within the ISI.
5: Not to my knowledge, can, it doesn't. Well,
3: they say they do, and in fact, the Pakistani Navy went for parliament and said yes, yeah, but they're Matthew, working you, within some But maybe
5: you do have to distinguish between some elements here and there that, that are sympathetic. There are, you know, Pakistan is a country that is facing an existential threat. It has a huge terrorism threat, which problem. Is
3: partly created by its own policies that the general is still <laughs> extolling. Let, let me bring in Declan Walsh, who's the Pakistan bureau chief of the New York Times, based here in the UK since you were expelled from Pakistan uh, in 2013. Um, Declan, uh, Frazana has talked about the huge cost Shazadi's talked about the existential threat. When you look at the kind of blowback situation, uh, what's your take on what's happened as a result of all these policies?
1: Well, again, I mean, you know, the Peshawar, the recent attack in Peshawar in which 150 people died is really the most graphic. And I think for ordinary Pakistanis, uh, distressing blowback from all of these years of effectively the ISI and the state instrumentalizing the use of jihad as a weapon for the country's foreign policy objectives. What the General uh, didn't speak about is what the ISI and people like General Durrani actually want to see for the future of Afghanistan. Because when you go to Afghanistan, you'll meet ordinary Afghans who say, look, these people have been interfering in our country for the last three decades, and now we would like them to please step out. Okay.
3: Do you believe, General Durrani, and do you expect people in this room to believe um, that the ISI had no knowledge of where Osama bin Laden was before his death? that Bin Laden, who was discovered in 2011 in Pakistan, in Abbottabad, in a very large building, in a military town, near a military base, and the ISI had no clue that he was there. Really? Till
0: today, I cannot say exactly what happened, but my assessment – I mean, it's about giving your assessment – my assessment was it is quite possible that they did not know, but it was more probable that they did. And the idea was that at the right time, his location would be revealed. And the right time would have been when you can get the necessary quid pro quo. If you have someone like Osama bin Laden, you are not going to simply hand him over to the United States. The quid pro quo, to my mind, until today, I'm not going to say that that I have known about it, that I'm absolutely sure about it. And that was, you get your Osama bin Laden, provided, now let's agree,
3: let's agree on how to bring the Afghan problem to an end. When you say, we may have known where he was and we may have produced him, does that mean you know where he is, or actually you're sheltering him, it's an ISI safe house? If ISI was doing that, then I would say that they were
0: doing a good job. And if they revealed his location, they again probably did what was required to be done. Are going to ask us now to give a round of applause to Osama bin Laden
3: as well? (laughs) Except that I do not know what happened. I do not know what happened. Leon Panetta, who was CIA director, he said that it was either the Pakistanis were either involved or they were incompetent. I think the admission of incompetence was probably done on political reasons.
0: We did not want, again, as far as the people of Pakistan were concerned, it was going to be very uncomfortable for them that their government, you know, is in cahoot now with the United States and gets hold of Osama bin Laden, who incidentally was uh, quite an admired figure in Pakistan.
3: Were you an admirer of Osama bin
0: Laden's? I am not going to talk about my personal thing at all. Really? No, did you know why no, you were coming no, to be on this no, program? No, no, I mean, of course, you know. <laughs> there are a few things that I should not, otherwise... No, no. Well, I'm, not one talking, would,
3: I'm not talking about, I'm, you know, did you, did you manage his operations in the 80s, uh, although, did you manage his operation in the 80s? 80s? Yeah. You were in there military intelligence, I. he was fighting the Soviets, no, did you guys get together no, for a coffee I and plan th- attacks? <laughs> I you, the Americans, the Saudis, the, the old gang back together again. Yeah, I think we did gang up
0: together for uh, a number of occasions, except that we were not telling each other what was happening. Osama bin Laden at that time was an unknown figure, I never heard about him. During the period that I was heading it.
3: And were, and, and were you, or dare I say, are you an admirer of Osama bin Laden? As I said, I am not going to, because then
0: one loses the whatever objectivity I can bring to play, I will even loot that. Because and that's why I
3: keep talking your about. Your refusal to answer might make a few people in this room come to their own conclusions as to what your view is. <laughs> they will, in any case, come to their own conclusion, well, I can see that. When you say he was an admired figure in Pakistan, do you mean because of the Soviet war, or do you mean because of 9-11? The first reaction
0: when 9-11 happened, plenty of people said it was time that someone also, you know, gave a befitting response to now the sole surviving superpower, getting too big for its boots, goes around, gone gulls-blazing wherever it wants to. If that was the reaction of so many people, I can understand that some people would be sympathetic to an organization that had the courage and the gumption to stand up to that
3: party. Just to be very clear, um, there are several polls done in Pakistan which find that the number of Pakistanis who believe that Bin Laden and Al-Qaeda carried out the 9-11 attacks ranges between 3 and 5 percent of the population. Do you believe he was responsible for the attack on the Twin Towers? I have
0: accepted the official version coming from Washington, from Islamabad, from most of the capitals. Hijacking one plane is difficult enough. Synchronized hijacking of four planes, going and hitting a target, a pinpoint target. For 45 minutes, American Air Force cannot get airborne. Even Pakistani Air Force in 10 to 15 minutes will be able to scramble. Now These are those things that may not be clear to me, maybe there is an answer, you're maybe there of, is you're an explanation. you the Americans
3: call a truther. What I never get with conspiracy theories on 9-11, especially in the Muslim majority world, is on the one hand you say Bin Laden was courageous, America had it come, and on the other hand you say, well, actually it was an inside job, it wasn't really the terrorists. You I can't have it both that. ways, surely. I'm, I'm not saying that, because I do not know enough about it. Okay, let's go to our, our panel. Um, Frisana, Osama Bin Laden. Uh, Where do you stand on the whole debate because of course the official line I should say from the Pakistani government is we had no clue he was there. In fact they've arrested a lot of people who allegedly helped the Americans find him.
2: I am on record as saying that I find it entirely implausible that the ISI knew nothing about Mr. Bin Laden's whereabouts. But what is particularly worrying to me uh, was the revelation following the raid which ended in the capture and killing of Mr. Bin Laden, which showed that his couriers and Mr. Bin Laden himself had been in touch with Islamist groups such as Harkat al-Mujahideen, such as Hafiz Saeed, who leads Lashkar al-Tayyaba, who have very close links to the ISI. So it seems to me, um, even if we are to set aside uh, the claims of the respected journalist Carlotta Gall, who tells us that there was actually a dedicated desk that dealt with bin Laden. Even if we say that you know that is really a fabrication, we do have evidence of this correspondence that shows that the ISI did know about his whereabouts, and that he was, as you have rightly pointed out, probably set up in a safe house.
3: Let me let me put that question to Declan. Here's the thing. So if everyone knows that the Pakistanis knew something, if not lots, about the location of Bin Laden, why is it the Americans are okay about that? Why do they carry on giving billions of dollars to a country that's harboring, sheltering their most wanted man?
1: Well I actually take a different view on this, you know uh, Gen- 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 General Durrani with his sort of carefully calculated provocations tonight is presenting a view of the ISI or an image of the ISI which is very prevalent in Pakistan as well which is that it is all powerful, omnipotent and capable of the most dastardly uh, conniving operations and so on. I think there's actually an alternative possibility here including with the bin Laden raid which is actually perhaps a more chilling truth which is that they didn't know and they had no idea. And what that actually tells you is that things are more out of control than people like General Drani, which have you believe.
3: Well, before I bring in Shazadi, more out of control than you believe, you give this view that the ISI is omnipotent and all-powerful, but actually they're a bunch of rank incompetents. As long as there's plenty of confusion here, I'm quite happy. <laughs> okay, uh, appropriately cynical. Um, Shazadi, let me put the Leon Panetta quote to you. Involved or incompetent? We've had two different views tonight from your fellow panellists.
5: Mehdi, if the Pakistanis knew where Bin Laden was, you can be sure that the Americans would have splashed it across the world. But there was no hard evidence at all that uh, the Pakistanis actually knew. And the Abdubad, um Commission report said this, this was their conclusion, culpable negligence and incompetence at all levels of
3: government. So you're in the incompetence camp? Yes. Okay, so two for incompetence, one for they must have known, one for lots of rank confusion. Okay. On that note, uh, let's take a break. Uh, join me in part two uh, of Head to Head, where we'll be continuing the debate uh, on terrorism, intelligence, Pakistan, uh, with General uh, Assad Durrani. We'll also be hearing from our audience here in the Oxford Union. That's after the break. Welcome back to Head to Head on Al Jazeera. We're talking to General Assad Durrani, former Director General of the Pakistani ISI, the Inter Services Intelligence Agency. We've been talking about uh, the Taliban, Afghanistan, Bin Laden. Back in 2005, the CIA produced a report which suggested that Pakistan, with all its corruption, economic dysfunction, rising levels of internal violence, sectarianism, etc., would by 2015 be a failed state. Uh, It's now 2015. Did the CIA get it right? Is Pakistan a failed state, in your view? Where people get it
0: wrong is they look at the performance of the state. The Pakistani society is very strong. At the sub-state level, people work, the communities organise
3: themselves, so it's a very vibrant civil society. Why do you think it is that since independence, more than, well, almost seven decades ago, Um, There have been three military coups in Pakistan and more than 30 years of military governance. Why is it that your country is so prone to military dictatorships? I think it lies in history. This is an area, Toynbee described it
0: as the eastern crossroads of history. The forces, the armed forces have trampled over this place, the foreigners have come and gone, so people in this area have always had a healthy respect for the military. That is number one. Secondly, after the partition, I think because of the environment in which the country was created, India on the East, the Kashmir problem, the new country, etc., etc., this was an organization that gained the maximum respect. The military, despite everything,
3: remains the most popular organization in the country. On that basis then, are you someone who thinks that actually it would be better to have military rule in Pakistan than democratic rule?
0: Better or not, that I do not know. During the military periods, what one has seen is more stability, better law and order, better economic development. Institutions have not been developed during that period. The permanent stability that comes, what we believe, with the evolution of our normal process, that has not come. And when that does not happen, I think people again yearn for military
3: rule. Do you prefer military rule in Pakistan to elected governments?
0: Last three or four months. Before that, I probably would have had a hard time saying the military rule is better. Nowadays in this very difficult period when one sees so many civilian institutions,
3: abdicated the responsibility. But even when the army is not ruling, you're still calling the shots from behind the scenes. You're not allowing (laughs) democratic politicians to do. Well, look, take the example of yourself. In 1990, when you were head of the ISI, uh, you were ordered by the army chief to spend millions in helping to defeat Benazir Bhutto's Pakistan People's Party, the PPP. It's fair to say that even when democratic governments are in power in Pakistan, generals like yourself behind the scenes are trying to run the show. Someone quickly read me my rights.
0: I have the right to remain silent because whatever I say will be used in a court of
3: law. Fine, Okay. Fair enough. Let's put the court case to one side. In general terms, it is fair to say that ISI chiefs, generals like yourself, still meddle in politics, even when there is an elected government in place. And that's outrageous, surely.
0: It does not happen that way. It does not happen that way. Under normal circumstances, even the military likes to keep away from air. You know, as far as the institutional decision of the military is concerned, it's not in favor of military takeover.
3: So the Pakistani military reluctantly involves itself in politics? It doesn't want I to drag into the arena. I would say, say
0: that's, that's, a, that's actually a quite a fair way of describing it. Reluctantly. Reluctant Relu- coup they've makers. Re-
3: they've reluctantly run the show for 30 of Pakistan's 60-something years. Yeah,
0: once you take over, after that you believe that you have a responsibility and you try and make so like a blanket so you can gut. <laughs> yeah.
3: One of the areas of life is not just yeah. politics and the public arena and the democratic process that the ISI is accused of encroaching on. Um, it's also accused of encroaching on the free press. There have been numerous reports in recent years of Pakistani journalists being beaten, tortured, killed because they were writing stories that the ISI didn't like. When the journalist Salim Shazad, for example, was found dead in 2011, his friends say that he had received several death threats from the ISI and he was fearing for his life. Human Rights Watch say that the ISI should be investigated on this basis. There are plenty of other examples. What do you say to people who say, look, You have an intelligence agency in a country acting like the mafia, taking out members of the free press who they don't like. ISA is a very benign institution. Really? It works for the welfare of the state. That's not what you were saying in part one.
0: You see, quoting some people and then asking me to explain does not seem to be a very good idea. Oh, well,
3: let me try again. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it is a yes. good idea, so I'm going to try again. Oh, okay. Umar Chima, reporter, kidnapped, stripped, beaten mm-hmm. in 2010. He told the New York Times, all fingers point to the ISI. The journalist Hamid Mir, shot, almost killed in 2014. His mm-hmm. brother went on television and said the ISI did this. He was warned that they were coming to get him. Are all these journalists just making it up? And we should believe you and your benign friends in the ISI. Yes really you don't believe that
0: i do not know what has
3: happened did you ever order the killing no, or beating orders. of any journalist when you ran the isi
0: i have no personal knowledge of any of this have ever happened if it may have happened but when it happens because of the history because of the involvement naturally though many people will point finger towards the ISI.
3: okay well let's go to our our panel of experts who are waiting to come in frazana Sheikh. Um, The Pakistani military and the ISI, they only reluctantly get involved in politics. They don't want to be there. They're dragged in by the public who love them.
2: (laughs) Well, it is no surprise that the ISI to this day is known in Pakistan as a state within a state. And I would like to ask General Durrani, under our constitution... The intelligence services the head of the intelligence service the isi is accountable to the prime minister but in practice we know that he works under the orders of the army chief and every time we have tried elected governments that is tried to rein in the isi it started in 2008 following the mumbai attacks when we instructed the, army, the ISI chief to go and cooperate with India, invest, investigate those killings. The ISI stood its ground, wouldn't have it, basically defied an elected government. It's an unaccountable organization, which of course is in breach of our constitution. What do you say to that?
0: No, nothing, except that if it has to be accountable to the type of governments that uh, we've just discussed then it's going to be a problem. I mean, let me also try and explain. What is true is that uh, the ISI head is responsible to a number of people, the president, the prime minister, and the various service chiefs. But yes, effectively, I think the most effective or most uh, competent boss remains the military chief. That's the reality on ground.
3: Let's bring in uh, Shazadi Beg. Um, surely you would accept that wherever you stand on this particular debate, the Pakistani military, in particular the ISI, wields far too much power in modern Pakistan. Surely you would accept that point?
5: I think that Pakistan gets a hugely unfair press. Mehdi, do you know of any intelligence agency in the world which doesn't double deal, which doesn't tell lies? It goes with the territory. And those of you who doubt that, go and read a history of the CIA. Um, So far as the army is concerned, you have um, democracy in Pakistan, which in my respectful view ends at the ballot box. You have civilian governments, including the present government, which abdicates its responsibility in the most enormous way. Is it any surprise then that the army, including the ISI, feels that they have to they step in the So that also l- let, me, let me give you an example of that very quickly, okay. very quickly, which is that in Karachi, Karachi today would collapse if it wasn't for the army and for the Rangers.
3: Let me just bring in Declan Mosh. you've reported from Pakistan extensively over the years. Um, as an outsider, someone who visits their reports from there, when people say it's a failing state, a dysfunctional state, um, a failed state, what do you say to them?
1: I don't think it's a particularly useful way of looking at it right now, but I think coming to this issue of the, the, the army and the civilians in power, I mean, really, this is at the centre of everything that's been going on in Pakistan for the last 70 years, this tussle between the civilians and the military. And the fact that it is still unresolved after so many coups, with the continued prominence of people like General Durrani, tells you how the most fundamental things about how Pakistan should be run as a country are still not decided among Pakistanis themselves. And that, I think, is at the centre of many of the kind of, much of the turbulence we see in the country. And Declan,
3: I've got to ask you this question. I mentioned in the first half that you were expelled from Pakistan in 2013. Uh, you're the New York Times bureau chief. Before that, you wrote for The Guardian uh, out of Pakistan. What did you write that so upset the ISI that they kicked you
1: out? Um, we still don't know. Um, in the uh, expulsion letter, when the gentleman came to my gate at midnight one night, uh, the, the letter simply said that I had to leave the country on account of what were called my un, um, undesirable activities. Um, what were those undesirable and activities? We have, we have, we've, we've asked uh, the military um, and the civilian authorities uh, many times for elaboration on that point, but I received none.
3: Uh, let's go to the audience for a question. Um, gentleman here in, in the second
4: row, yes? You were ISI head in 90 to 92. And you were leading the war in Afghanistan, and you were implementing the strategy Kabul must be burned. You burned it. My mother lost a 16 year old son. Since 1992 till today, her tears have dried up. And millions, two and a half millions were killed. And still Afghanistan is suffering. When it comes to personal issues, are you ready to condemn your actions and apologize? Make an apology to my mother and to people like me and millions of Afghans
3: who you have killed. Okay, you made your point very strongly,
4: sir. Let the general respond now. Make an apology, stand trial, or to be dragged to a court. Thank you.
0: Look, I'm very sorry for any personal losses that people have suffered. That policy got the Soviet occupation vacated. As far as the destruction of Kabul is concerned, that took place after the Soviet withdrawal because of a particular civil war that took place, the power struggle that took place between the PDPA and subsequently the Mujahideen.
3: Um gentleman here in the yellow jacket, do you want to wait for the microphone to come to you? Um, Do you not think, General Assad, that Britain has played a larger role in uh, making the Taliban more uh, violent in places like Helmand than Pakistan ever has?
0: The only good thing that I can think that the British did, they did not come down too heavily on narcotics. Because, and I'm very serious about this, once everyone else is gone, the foreign aid is also been taken away, what are the Afghans going to do to sustain this particular structure that has been created? They will probably be banking more on the narcotics. And you'd be in favor of that? I'm not, I'm not try, com, trying to say that it's a good thing or bad thing, but two to three million Afghans nowadays live from on, on, our, uh, uh, on this industry.
3: it's also a great sustainer of the Taliban, of course, who, remember, you wanted us to applaud. Um, Let's take a question from a lady, lady there in the black shirt.
0: Um, Back in the 90s, you you
5: thought that you wouldn't change a thing, the way the ISI handled the Taliban. Um, How
2: do
0: you think you would do things differently now when the U.S. forces and NATO forces retreat from Afghanistan? And how do you think that will affect Pakistan's future? I think Pakistan has been trying to position itself for the last about few years, as to what would happen, last four or five years, I see Pakistan trying to mend its fences with Iran. With Russia, I suppose we have made a breakthrough. The region together, trying to persuade, coax, bribe, somehow they're push the Afghan factions to find that consensus that I've been
1: talking about.
3: Okay, let's take a question from the back, uh, gentleman there.
1: After the Peshawar incident, you've had the setup of the military courts in Pakistan as a counter-terrorism strategy, do you think that will be successful in addressing the, the menace that we have of uh, extremism in Pakistan today?
0: I'm not sure if it's what I mean. People have heaved a sigh of relief that the military will hang them. And sometimes I do ask myself this question. If there are people who are actually prepared to give their, I mean, blow themselves up, how is the hanging going to deter them from doing it? So that is where we are.
3: Shazadi, very very briefly, yes.
5: I'm not in favor of military courts. The fact is that the justice system in Pakistan today is on trial. In two years' time, when military courts come to an end, there isn't going to be a magic
3: fix. Okay. Um, Gentlemen here, yes, in the glasses and the sweater. Do you want to wait for the microphone to come to you? During the first half of the program, you stated that in matters of statecraft, morality needs to take the back seat. Do you believe that your peers, in terms of other heads of intelligence services, also share that view in other countries? Yes, I do. Do you, just to follow up on that, just to make Shazadi's point, do you believe that other intelligence agencies behave in exactly the no. same way as the ISI? Or oh,
0: worse, I suppose. The so-called rogue operations that take place can go and blow up, you know, certain places, because to stage a false flag operations have you ever heard about them?
3: How is that worse than what the ISI does?
0: Yeah, I mean, d- they may be bigger in magnitudes,
3: the stakes may be much less. Phone calls were intercepted by U.S. Afghan intelligence or the ISI planning an attack on the Indian embassy in Kabul.
0: Oh, no, no, that's not true. That's not true. <laughs> if, if the phone calls were intercep- intercepted, then I suppose the people in the ISI were not doing a very good job.
3: Is there a line that the ISI shouldn't cross for you, in your view? Or is the, is the ISI able to do whatever it wants? No, the ISI would
0: do anything possible, anything that it can do to carry out that assessment.
3: So there's no limits, there's no laws, there's no restraints?
0: None, except for the mission that it has. And if
3: that applies to every intelligence agency in the world? It is. It's a bit of a crazy planet you all want us to live on, no, where everyone no. just gets to kill that's, each other.
0: That's what they would do, especially really? those intelligence agencies which are faced with a situation like us.
3: Well, the CIA... Um, worse. Abhor- worse, abhorrent Guadalamo torture. Mumbai. The CIA carried out abhorrent torture, but at least American politicians published a report on it. Have we had an equivalent report on the ISI? Has the Pakistani what? parliament ever produced a report on the ISI's wrongdoings in the way that the US Senate oh, because did because the there other were day? no wrongdoings, so that's why they... Were okay. <laughs> um, lady there in the, in the red shirt, and then this gentleman here has been waiting a while.
5: I remember people writing about the results of supporting Taliban. That was a time when army would deny that, you know, there's not going to be a blowback. My question to you is that now that there has been a blowback, what about all those militants that we continue to keep, like Hafiz
0: The blowbacks were inevitable. The blowbacks happen. How do you take care? How do you manage the blowback? Now, that's actually the test. As far as Hafiz Saeed is concerned, I don't think there has been enough debate on has Said, his role, his present status, court acquittals and so on and so forth.
3: Okay, let's go back to the audience. Um, I said this gentleman here. General Durrani, uh, you're in Britain, we're all British in here. Uh, our government pays millions and millions of pounds to, to Pakistan, and I saw in the army, uh, saying that they are our partners in killing the terrorists, you're sat here promoting and supporting all elements that kill British soldiers, which are British citizens. Are you sat in Oxford promoting glorifying terrorism? And are you the terrorist that we should be looking for?
0: The British soldiers went to Afghanistan as part of an invading force. They fought a war there and some people would die.
3: and many when of those the soldiers, t- when the soldiers go
0: and take part in the war there is no such insurance guarantee that they are going General to come Johnny, back. General Jorani, in the
3: interests it. of balance the British government would point out that whatever happened in 2001 happened under a UN resolution, the soldiers that went into Helmand went in with the consent of an elected Afghan government. Yeah,
0: those people who are resisting them you are not going to be looking at the United Nations Security Resolutions, which United Nation in any case, the Security United Nations the Security Council has become a handmaiden of certain powers. Okay, right. Gentlemen here,
3: General Dulani, it is uh, appalling to see that your pragmatism is based on envy, jealousy, and paranoia instead of uh, justice and morality. How would you uh, answer those who argue that the jihadist group created by ISI? Uh, in policy to bleed India by giving 1,000 cuts has been a disaster in the whole region. Now the ISI has reached a point when there is, there is no return. The war goes on,
0: certain battles take place, certain developments will come in a particular situation. Have you heard of the Things Japanese like soldier that. who
3: was found Look in here. a jungle thinking the war was still going on and everyone else had moved on? It goes on. I'm going to go to the lady here.
2: I'm sympathetic to the criticism of America's war of occupation in Afghanistan, but I'm curious. The one time that the Pakistani military and the generals could have resisted was to actually save the people of Afghanistan from this current invasion, but General Musharraf rolled over and agreed to provide political support to the Afghan war, um, to the invasion of Afghanistan. So is there a different standard?
0: I would say that once that decision was taken, there was an environment in which one could have understood 9-11 has taken place, the whole world is, you know, shouting for revenge and action, and at that time, General Musharraf says, we will cooperate. Over a period of time, to his credit, I think he also started understanding that this type of an alliance is not going to do any good to Afghanistan or to Pakistan. That is what he realized, and that is the time when the parting of the ways took place, till the period of 2011 when I said, well, both the countries were now at war with other." Okay.
3: Last audience question. gentlemen in the blue shirt here. Hi. As an Indian, I'd like to ask, uh,
0: don't you think the desperateness of Pakistan for Kashmir has compromised the development of the country as a whole? Like, won't it be good, the money which Pakistan receives as a foreign aid, it invests in civilian development like setting up big universities like Oxford or IITs in India rather than funding uh, militants in Kashmir. Yeah, these are always a very difficult balance to be struck between how much you want to spend on the military and how much for the civil society. It's
3: a pretty bad balance in Pakistan.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it was a situation that led to that. Maybe more money was spent because security was the main concern. Possibly the money that was allocated to the civil agencies may not have been used as effectively as the one that was spent on the military. Because after all, just remember one thing, despite all these things, if today the equation between India and Pakistan has come to a stalemate, it's stalemated conventionally and unconventionally, so some use of that particular money that was spent on the military can be reasonably understood if not justified when it comes to helping, and that is the DNA of Pakistan. Just a minute, probably the most important point this evening. Pakistan is not like any other normal country. No, that's clear. No, it is not. It's a very unusual place. Historically, the Muslims of the subcontinent have associated themselves with the greater Ummah, Khilafat movement, they sent people there. After the birth of Pakistan, not only providing help to the Afghans to resist foreign aggression, sending pilots to Syria to fight the Israelis, Shesians and uh, Bosnians being supported by the Pakistanis, the militaries in the Gulf being trained by the Pakistanis. But the cost
3: at home. Well, there the is cost always going to
0: be a cost for these sublime purposes. These are, you know... You genuinely believe these are sublime purposes. Absolutely. Let you know. me ask you this, given you... you today, today, if Pakistan is in the limelight, some, for some people,
3: perhaps not for the, for the best of reasons. I think it's undoubtedly not for the best of reasons. Let me ask you this last question then. You've spoken very confidently tonight. Many would say you've expressed some pretty appalling views, I'll have to be honest about that. <laughs> but you've done it very confidently, very passionately. Uh, let me ask you this then. When you were head of the ISI, and when you look back on your career, what do you regret most? During my period, Afghanistan to be settled,
0: the uprising in Kashmir taking place, the political transition within the country. So I'm not claiming that everything was done optimally, to the best of the abilities. One could have done a few things differently. But at that time, one was muddling through, one was trying to make the best of a bad situation. And God knows one has made, more than one shares mistakes. Now that is true, that has happened. However, at least one saw, ISA's assessment of the Iraq situation, 1991, was better than the CIA's. So those were a couple of things that were not too bad. At the Same time, must non- one must have fallen short on certain other accounts.
3: General Durrani, thank you for joining us here on Head to Head in the Oxford Union. Thank you very much to our panel as well for joining us. Thanks to our audience here in the Oxford Union and thanks to you all for watching at home. Good night.